Amen. Well, turn with me once again to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Last week, we introduced this, uh, as we introduced this passage, we saw that we have been caught up in the marvelous plan of God. As you read through Ephesians and you get a feel of where Paul has come up until this point, you see that we've been caught up in this marvelous plan, which is God glorifying Himself through Christ. So right now what God is doing in all of creation, heaven and earth, everywhere, is summing up everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know the big thing that God is doing in history, the big thing, like we said last week, there's a lot of sub-things, but the overarching purpose of history is to sum up everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. And an astounding truth, an amazing fact of reality, is that you, believer, have been given a front row seat, a primary place in that plan. And the way that you've been given a seat, the way that you've been given a place in this plan to sum up everything in Christ is by God saving you in Christ Jesus. Everything you have this morning that's worth anything is because you are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You've been united with Him and now His enemies are are your enemies. And so towards the end of this letter, Paul is summing up a lot of these great truths with one main burden, and that is to call you to stand. To call you to stand against your enemies. To call, call you to not give way to these pressures and these impulses and these thoughts and these slanders that come your way from the devil. So that's what we talked about last week. And this week we're going to turn our attention to the particulars of how we stand by looking at verses 14 through 17, which are known as the armor of God. Now there's something really interesting here in verses 14 through 17. We notice a slight division in this text. Between the first three pieces, 
which is the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, and the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the last three pieces, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. There's a slight division here. Um, in verse 16, the last three pieces are introduced with this phrase, in addition to all. You can see that there in verse 16. And if you have a Bible with notes, it's probably got a little bit of one, like a, a one or an A beside that N, if you're reading the New American Standard. And if you look over in the margin, it's literally in all. In all. Some people have taken this to mean that the shield of faith, which he introduces right after this, is preeminent among the pieces of armor. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. And most commentators and preachers have not taken it that way. Basically, what they take him as saying is, don't stop with this first set. Don't stop with the first three pieces. In addition to all, go on to these pieces. So that in itself suggests a possibility that there's a division here. But what really puts the matter more clearly, at least to me, is the way in which Paul speaks about these three, first three pieces versus the way in which he speaks about the last three pieces. Notice these first, first three pieces. Having girded your loins, and having put on the breastplate, and having shod your feet. Paul assumes that these first three pieces are going to be in place long before the battle ever starts. They are more fixed and permanent. Now notice the last three pieces. Taking up the shield of faith and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So these last three pieces are taking up when the attack is launched. So there's a division here. The first three pieces are more permanent and in place. They must be there long before the battle ever starts. And the last three pieces are taking up when the assault comes. So Lord willing, today we're going to look at these first three pieces. And then next week we'll look at the last three pieces. So in light of what we've just seen from this text, I don't think Paul would have us think about these first three pieces as three unrelated commands or exhortations. Instead, we should think of them as one general, general exhortation with three aspects. And what is the exhortation? Prepare for war. Simply put, it means do not wait until the battle starts to think about arming yourself. You must prepare for war. And I believe, as I've studied this passage a couple of times, it is the lack of heeding this exhortation that we don't enjoy more victory. You remember the story in Matthew 26 of Peter and the disciples in the garden. Christ tells them to watch and pray so that they won't enter into temptation. In other words, a battle is coming and there are things that you need to do now so that when that battle comes, you're going to be prepared for the battle. But what happened? Peter and the disciples did not heed that exhortation. They did not prepare for the battle. And when the battle came, they found themselves scrambling, scrambling and eventually they fell. They did not stand. Why? Because they did not heed Christ's exhortation to prepare for this battle. And who doesn't know something about this? Who doesn't know something about getting into a battle 
and you're fighting and all of a sudden this assault comes upon you and you begin to struggle tremendously simply because you have been not, not been renewing your mind prior to that time or you've not been doing other things. You're just kind of coasting along in the Christian life and then all of a sudden this attack comes out of nowhere and you're just scrambling. You're just scrambling and eventually, usually, you fall and give way. Most people know something about this, but here's the encouraging thing. You can stand. You can stand. There is no... Now, this is, this is encouraging. There is no sin. There's no temptation that the devil can throw your way that you cannot stand against in the grace and power and the armor of God. You may say, now look, I, you know, there's been, there's been sins... I have fought for years. I fought for years. Here's the encouraging thing. If you put on the armor of God and you be strong in the Lord, you can stand against any temptation the devil throws your way. Now that's encouraging. But the thing is, you need to prepare. You need to prepare. So let's look at three aspects of preparing to stand. Number one, Putting on the belt of truth by renewing your mind. Number two, putting on the breastplate of righteousness by giving no place to the devil. And number three, putting on the shoes of readiness by believing the gospel. So let's take these in order. Number one, we must prepare to stand by renewing our mind with the truth. This is the belt of truth. And Paul has already addressed this subject in detail in chapter 4 of Ephesians. So flip over there with me to chapter 4. Notice verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him just as truth is in Jesus, that, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Notice what Paul is saying here. There are two paths. There's the old path, and then there's the new path. There's the old man, and then there's the new man. The old life is based on the lust of deceit. To say it another way, deceiving lust. Deceiving lust. That's what, characterize, that's what characterizes the non-Christian's life. They're dominated by deceiving lust. So you have these thoughts and these impulses that are running contrary to the, to the truth. They're deceiving you. You feel like this thing that is contrary to the truth of God is actually going to satisfy you. You begin to feel like this temptation to deviate from the path of God is the thing that you really need in your life. You feel it. You have these impulses. And, and what that is, is the lust of deceit. That's a deceiving lust. These lusts come in and they deceive you. They deceive you. But there's another path. The new life for the new man. The new life is based on righteousness and holiness of the truth. So the former life is based on deceiving lust. 
But the new life or the new man is based on righteousness and holiness of the truth. Which world are you living in this morning? Is your life controlled by these deceiving lusts? They're just running rampant, lying to you. And you're following one thing after another. And it's just, man, as soon as you get close to it, it eludes you and doesn't deliver. But it promises a little bit later on down the road it's going to deliver. So you follow it some more. And right when you get up close to it, it eludes you again. Those lusts are lying to you. Or is your life based on the truth? No matter what I feel, no matter what kind of lust and impulses are raging inside of me, my life is fueled and fired and directed by the truth of God. I've got this lighthouse out here and I'm, I'm going straight for it. That's what guides my life is truth. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that this morning? So what happens is... When you're walking in this new man, one of these lusts comes along and it, it tries to lie to you. It tries to tell you that this particular course of action that's going to pull you off the narrow way is what's really going to satisfy you. But if you've got on the belt of truth, you say, no, you slam the door. That's not under discussion. I follow the truth of mine. My mind is set on God's truth and that is what determines my reality. I will let nothing else inform me. That's what it looks like to wear the belt of truth. So how do you, do you move from the place of being lied to by these deceitful lusts and letting your life be characterized by that to letting your life be driven by righteousness and holiness of the truth? Well, Paul tells us in verse 23, you must be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Long before these arrows start to fly and the attack comes upon you, you must be renewing your mind. Now, let me give you an illustration on this. Um, David Kelly uh, once had a job where it was his responsibility to test these uh, machines that produced, or these machines, they either held or produced oxygen. And um, so David's job was to test them and to make sure that the oxygen that they were putting out was pure oxygen. You can imagine the devastating effects of thinking you're giving someone real oxygen to find out that it's diluted, it's polluted, it's not pure. And so David's job is to make sure these tanks are giving out real oxygen. Well, what he had was is this little reader. And so he would hook his reader up to one of these tanks and turn on the valve, and this reader would tell him how pure that oxygen was. Well, the problem is, is throughout the day, through normal wear and tear, this little reader would get bumped and everything else, and so eventually it's no longer true. It's not trustworthy anymore. And so what David had to do every single morning was at, at the shop where he worked, they had an oxygen tank that they knew beyond the shadow of a doubt was full of 100% pure oxygen. And so what David did every single morning was he would hook that reader up to that oxygen tank, turn on that pure oxygen, let it run through, and then he would set the dial back to pure oxygen. Pure oxygen. And that's what you have to do in the Christian life. Every single day, every single day, there must not be a moment in your life when your mind is not being set back to, this is what's true. 
So daily, as you're reading and meditating on the Word of God, as you see the truth of God come out from His Word, you're saying, that's what's true. Despite what I may feel today, despite all these impulses and these circumstances that sometimes militate against these ideas, despite everything else, this is what is true. And this is what is going to set the course and the direction of my life. I don't care how I feel I'm going to operate and be directed by truth. By truth. This is summed up in Psalm 119. He says this. Psalm 119, 128. I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. Do you hear that? I esteem right all of your precepts concerning everything. So the psalmist had meditated on God's Word. He had got God's perspective on a range of these ideas. And he says, alright, that's what I'm going with. I esteem right all of your precepts concerning everything. The thing that sets the direction of my life and the thing which everything else is measured by, including my feelings, is the truth of God. And if it doesn't pass that test, it gets taken captive, brought to Christ, and crucified. Crucified. The belt of truth. I am committed to thinking God's thoughts after Him. So one aspect of preparing to stand is to have your mind tuned in, renewed, and committed to the truth of God. Secondly, we must prepare to stand by giving no place to the devil. This is the belt of uh, breastplate of righteousness. And that's what, I mean, uh, that's what I believe he means by righteousness here. I believe he's talking about a practical righteousness. And the reason why I believe that is because he's already spoken about this in chapter 4. If you're still there, you notice that in the verses that we read in 20 through 24, he's talking about this first piece, the belt of truth. He's talking about renewing your mind and basing your life on truth. Not on deceitful lust, but on truth. And then he immediately goes into these practical exhortations about Christian living. Listen to this. Verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with your neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil literally... A place. Don't give the devil a place. Don't give him a small hole where he can get in and start to pry open and make an entrance into your life. You remember the story, possibly you remember the story, that I shared a little while back about Sean Reese there in Africa. A broken zipper left a little bitty hole in his sleeping bag. And left unattended, one night he put his feet in that sleeping bag and he felt something rubbery in the bottom of that sleeping bag. Now, if you have chills running up your spine, you are exactly correct. It was a snake. Because of a little gap, a little bitty gap in his sleeping bag over a broken zipper that was left unattended, a snake got in. Now, praise the Lord, it wasn't venomous, but it could have been. There are plenty in that part of the world. A little place, a little place. You remember the story in 2 Kings 22 of King Ahab. During the battle, an archer draws his bow at random 
And this arrow comes down and sticks between the joints of Ahab's armor. All over he's covered, but there's this little bitty gap in his armor. And because that gap was there, that arrow made its way in and it cost him his life. A little place, just a little place. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with a very difficult situation. There's been slander, there's been backbiting, there's been all of these other things, but now this person has at least shown a measure of repentance. And let me read you this passage that illustrates what we've been talking about of not giving a place to the devil. Wherefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him, for to this end also I wrote so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes." Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying, I dare not let unforgiveness creep into my life. I dare not let a grudge creep into my life. Why? Because that would give the devil a place. That would give the devil a place. Paul wouldn't do it. Paul wouldn't have it. And so the question this morning is, beloved, are you as careful as Paul not to give a place to the devil? Gossip, lust, pornography, greed, unforgiveness, slander, backbiting, envy, the list can go on. How easy these things can try and come into the Christian's life. They can try and creep back in. And if you start giving way, and as a pattern of your life, you start giving in to these things, you're going to give a place for the devil. How easy it is to lax your standard on things like movies. Movies. There's nothing wrong with movies per se. But it can cross a line into where what you're watching is not going to edify you at all. And all it's going to do is start to drive a wedge into your life. And pretty soon you've got a place. You've got a place. And now you've got a snake that's gotten into your tent. And you've got an arrow sticking in between your armor. It will bring you down. It will bring you down. We must not give place to the devil. There is no greater illustration of wearing this breastplate of righteousness than the Lord Jesus Christ. For 33 years, His breastplate did not move an inch. The devil continually tempted and harassed Him. Men were continually trying to catch Him in something that He might say, but they simply could not. On the night before he was unjustly put to death, do you remember what Christ said? After 33 years of life, after having the biggest target of temptation any man has ever had to walk the face of the earth, do you remember what Christ said? The ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. He has no place. He is about to unleash everything that he has, but he has no place. There's no peg in my life that he can hang himself on. There's no gap in my life that he can come through. He has nothing in me. 
And here's the encouraging thing. Because the devil couldn't find a place in Christ. Through Christ living his life in you, the devil can also not find a place in you. You can have victory. You can have victory. Even if you've had these besetting sins, these things that have been dragging you down, things that have been discouraging you, you can walk out of this place this morning with no spot in your life for the devil to come in. Christ can do that for you this morning. Because He won, we can win. Not giving a place for the devil. We must make sure as a pattern of life, as a pattern of life, you are walking in uncompromising righteousness. That's what it looks like to wear the breastplate of righteousness. You must make sure that long before this battle comes, that breastplate is in where it should be. Thirdly, we must prepare to stand by having a wartime mentality. A wartime mentality. And what I'm talking about here is this verse that is very awkwardly, awkward grammatically in a lot of other ways. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I think the ESV translates this in a more clear and gives you a better sense of what Paul is saying here. And the ESV says this, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So, we have two things here. A, we have the third piece of armor, namely this uh, having your feet strapped with this readiness and B, we have how this armor is obtained. It is given by the gospel of peace. And that's why in the opening summary, if I can find it, let's see here. In the opening summary, we call this um, putting on the shoes of readiness by believing the gospel. I think that just sums up what Paul's saying here. Putting on shoes of readiness by believing the gospel. So let's take A, readiness. Readiness. Fourteen times the New Testament explicitly or implicitly exhorts you to be on the alert. Be on the alert. Fourteen times. Uh, in other words, realize there is a battle. Realize there's a battle. Don't get lost in a dream world that all you're doing in life is just going to school or going to work or making dinner or helping the kids. And all of a sudden you get just kind of an unreality that that's all that's going on in life. And you forget the fact that wars are being fought for the souls of men and the cause of Christ. How easy it is in this culture that is so saturated with ease you're just at ease in Zion. Just at ease in Zion. And you're just kind of in this fog of unreality that there is a battle raging all around you. That souls are being won and lost. And that the cause of Christ must be upheld. And that you've got a place to stand. Readiness. Readiness. We see this negatively illustrated in the life of King David. In the life of King David. You remember this story from 2 Samuel 11? Let me read this to you. 
Then it happened in the spring at the times when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. You see what's going on here? All the kings are out to war. All of David's armies out to war. But David hangs back in Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the son of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. You see what happened here. Somewhere along the way, David lost that sense of readiness. David lost a sense that battles were being fought for the cause of God and that he had a place to stand. And so instead of going out with, a king, with the army and standing against these kings who were standing against his army, he hung back in Jerusalem. He hung back in Jerusalem. And because he was hanging back in Jerusalem and he didn't have this sense of readiness and this sense of a wartime mentality and that he had a place to stand in the fight, because of the lack of these things, he fell. He fell. Listen to Paul, the apostle. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. That's the mentality. A readiness. A readiness. Paul was able to say towards the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. In other words, I stayed in the war. I stayed in the war. I wasn't lounging on the sidelines while the rest of the saints were shouldering the cross. I had a place to stand and I stood I have fought the good fight. That sums up his life. He stayed in the fight. There was a sense of readiness about him. There was a sense of readiness. He was a soldier. He was enlisted. And he was in the battle. Again, we find this illustrated in the life of Christ. Luke uh, records the story of Christ in, I think it's either Luke 1 or 2, where Christ and his family are at Jerusalem. Christ is 12 years of age. And his family moves on. And about a day's journey, they realize they're missing someone. Christ. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they find him in the temple. And they say, why, why have you done this? Do you remember his answer? Literally, his answer was, Did you not know that I had to be in the things of my Father? That's the question this morning. Is your life characterized by being in the things of the Father? Do you have this sense of readiness about you? The sense that, that, that there is so much more going on than jobs and school and kids and supper and taxes and cars and everything else. There are wars that are being fought for the cause of Christ and you have a place to stand. You have a place to stand. So that's the sense of readiness. How is it given? Well, Paul tells us it's given by the gospel of peace. Now, doesn't that blow your mind? This wartime mentality is given by a gospel of peace. 
If there is anything we need to learn, beloved, it is the art of preaching the gospel to ourselves. That is so critical. If there is anything that we need to learn, it is the art of preaching to yourself. Preaching to yourself. Like Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his book on spiritual depression, one of our greatest problems is that we let ourselves talk to us instead of letting... Uh, instead of making ourselves come into subjection to the truth. You remember the psalmist. He would talk to himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Now you probably don't want to do that out loud very often, but you need to be doing it in your mind. You need to be preaching to yourself. And the most powerful thing that you have to preach to yourself is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just for non-Christians, it's also for Christians. There is nothing that clears away the fog and is going to bring you back to reality by reminding yourself of the death and resurrection of Christ and all that that means for you. As you realize and appropriate who you are in Christ and the security of all that He is for you, you're going to stay in the fight. You're going to stand. You're going to stand. You're going to have this sense of readiness about you. Let me read you a section from John 13 where we see this in the life of Christ. This section gives us an insight into how he kept this sense of readiness and kept his place. Kept his place. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come forth from God, and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside His garments, and taking a towel, He girded Himself. Do you... Do you hear how he did it? Do you hear how he, do you hear how he maintained this sense of readiness and this wartime mentality when most men want, would have wanted to back away from the fight and just to give up? Christ is taking a towel and he's washing the feet of his disciples who are going to leave him and one of them who's going to betray him. Do you hear how he did it? He was totally secure in all that he had in the Father. And he was totally secure in what the Father was doing and where he was going. And that same principle applies in the Christian life. As you remind yourself of the gospel, I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. In him I have redemption and righteousness and sanctification. He has dealt with all of my sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I have been sealed in him. I have all of these things in Him. As you preach these things to yourself, it's going to clear away the fog of all of these worldly type things that aren't necessarily bad in themselves. But if they become the main thing, they're going to distract you from the fight. It clears all that away and you get a fresh glimpse of reality. That again, a battle is being fought for the cause of Christ and you have a place to stand. And as you preach... As you preach and you remind yourself, you're going to feel this sense of readiness come back. This sense of wartime mentality. So in summary, there is maintenance to the Christian life. 
There are elements in the Christian life that must be a permanent fixture. They must be in place at all times, especially before that battle comes. What are they? Number one, a mind committed to truth. Number two, a life committed to righteousness. And number three, a gospel-given wartime mentality. A gospel-given wartime mentality. So Lord willing, next week we'll look at the last three pieces of armor which must be taken up when the battle actually comes. But the exhortation this week, prepare for war in these three areas. Make sure you are fully armed in these areas before the battle ever starts. Let's pray. Father, we confess our great need for You, Lord. We confess our need for help this morning. That we would be pressing in. Lord, that we would not be at ease in Zion, but that we'd be on the alert. That we would renew our mind. That we would have lives of uncompromising righteousness. God, we pray for Your power to fall on us. Help us, God, to live the Christian life. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to stand We need grace. We need grace. In Christ's name, amen.